The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, July 4th, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Sometimes the claim is made that people who hold to a specific set of religious beliefs, maybe even specifically Christian beliefs, go through life blindly. They ignore facts. They ignore data. They ignore evidence. They just blindly believe. Come to think of it, someone might even make the claim that that's exactly the thing you have been encouraged to do throughout this worship series entitled Lying Eyes. You've been told again and again that when it comes to God's presence and God's activity in our world, your eyes cannot be trusted. Again and again, you've been told that very often what looks like one thing is actually something completely different. Someone could make the claim that you've been told to go through life blindly. Of course, there, are, there is more than one way in which a person can be blind. Sometimes we can have our eyes wide open. Sometimes we can be looking at all of the data, all of the facts, all of the evidence that is available and still not see. One of the, the reasons that can happen is because of this thing called bias. Bias is when we've got our minds made up about something ahead of time, and bias keeps us from looking at the facts and the data that's in front of us objectively and accurately. In fact, one of the most common forms of bias in our world is known as confirmation bias. Because each and every one of us likes to be proven right, it is very easy for us to focus on the facts that confirm what we already believe and just kind of conveniently ignore the facts that disprove it. In fact, because of confirmation bias, you sometimes have this strange phenomenon where two people who have the exact opposite views on a certain thing can look at the exact same set of facts and both of them think that it supports their view. In fact, you've probably seen this happen with any number of hotly debated issues in our world, right? Anything from gun control to global warming to crime rates to pandemics, some sort of new data, some new set of facts comes out, and who points to it and says, see, I was right, I told you so. Absolutely everyone, right? We love to be right. We love to be proven that we are right. And as a result, sometimes we can't see clearly even when our eyes are wide open. Probably isn't too difficult to imagine that what can happen in secular societal issues can also very much happen when it comes to religious issues. When it comes to religion, maybe even specifically Christianity, it is very easy for two different people with the exact opposite views to look at the exact same set of facts and for both of them to think that it supports what they already believe. And so really this, this series that we've been going through that's entitled Lying Eyes has not so much been about encouraging people to go through life blindly. Instead, it's really been about exposing our bias, exposing those situations when even when our eyes are wide open, we are not seeing something correctly. And as we wrap up that series today, we have another 
perfect example of that very thing in the words from Mark that are in front of us this morning. In these verses, we are going to meet a group of people who was sitting in church, just like you are sitting in church today. And as they were, they were looking directly at Jesus. They had all of the facts, all of the data that they needed to see Jesus clearly, and yet because they were biased, because they already had their minds made up, they didn't see the truth about him. And because of that blindness, Mark tells us that they instead took offense at Jesus. Literally, they stumbled over Jesus. They tripped and they fell spiritually because they could not see the truth that was right in front of them. Well, thankfully, through these verses, the Holy Spirit is going to make sure that that exact thing does not happen to us. Through these words, the Holy Spirit is going to expose our natural bias about Jesus and our natural bias about people's reaction to Jesus. And so as we look at these verses this morning, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit keeps us from stumbling because of our bias. The people who were sitting in church in these verses were Jewish people, Jewish people who on the Sabbath day did what Jewish people do. They went to the synagogue. These people went to their local synagogue in the town called Nazareth. And yet this Sabbath day was not just any given Sabbath day. On this particular day, the rabbi who stood up in the front of the room to talk was none other than Jesus himself. And as these people who were sitting in church looked at Jesus, they were sort of presented with two seemingly conflicting sets of evidence. See, on the one hand, they had heard about Jesus' great wisdom, demonstrated in the things that he said and taught. They had heard about Jesus' great power, demonstrated in some of the miracles he had performed. And yet, on the other hand, Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. It was where he had grown up, which means that these people knew Jesus. They knew he was a carpenter, not a scholar, not a PhD graduate from some Ivy League school. They knew that Jesus made a living working with his hands, not with his mind and not with his words. They also knew, as they said, that Jesus was Mary's son, not Joseph's son, not even Joseph's and Mary's son. Some people think their words indicate that by this point, Joseph had already died and was no longer part of the picture, but other people think these words indicate that it was relatively widespread knowledge that Joseph was not, in fact, Jesus' true father. In other words, that Jesus was an illegitimate child. Certainly that he had no sort of, of royal bloodline or rich family heritage. And so these people had these two conflicting sets of evidence. Which one would they believe? Which one would they choose to see? Well, they chose to see about Jesus the evidence that only confirmed what they already believed. They believed that this local boy was nothing more than an ordinary guy who was just pretending to be, in other words, lying about being something much more. In fact, no amount of wisdom from Jesus, no amount of, of power from Jesus could have possibly convinced them otherwise, which is why Mark makes this seemingly surprising statement that in Nazareth, Jesus could not perform any miracles. Seems bizarre, doesn't it? 
you'd think that Jesus could have used his miracles to convince absolutely anyone of who he was. But instead, the pattern that we see in the Gospels is that Jesus' miracles already, always confirmed what people already believed about Jesus. So if people had faith in Jesus, Jesus' miracles confirmed it. But if people had nothing but disdain for Jesus, Jesus' miracles only confirmed that. Now, it might be easy for us as we sit here in church today to sort of look down on and think very little of the people who were sitting in church that day. And certainly it is true that we don't see Jesus the way that they decided to see Jesus. We Christians confess that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. And yet, pay careful attention to the characteristics of Jesus that they chose not to see even though it was right in front of their eyes. Again, his wisdom and his power. Jesus is still wise, you know. Every single word that is written in this book is good, is correct, is beneficial for us. We know that to be true. But what happens when Jesus tells us to do something that is difficult instead of something that is easy? What happens when Jesus tells us to do something that will bring us hardship instead of happiness? What happens when Jesus tells us to do something that will bring us ridicule from others instead of respect? Does Jesus seem so wise then? Jesus is still powerful too, you know. He's in control of absolutely everything that goes on in our universe. From the black holes that are light years away in outer space to all of the black asphalt and all of the construction zones that frustrate 4th of July travelers this weekend. He is in charge of it all. He is the CEO of the entire cosmos. But what happens when he uses that power in a way that is different from how we would want him to? What happens when everyone else seems to get all of the breaks and it seems as though we continue to draw the short end of the stick? What happens when we pray And we pray and we pray and we pray, but we never get the answer that we want. Does Jesus seem so powerful then? Even for people who are sitting in church, it is easy for us to to have bias, for us to have preconceived notions about what the Son of God ought to be and ought to act like. And as a result, when he doesn't meet those expectations, it is very easy for us to ignore his wisdom and to grow impatient with his power. In other words, it is very easy for us to do exactly what happened with these these Jewish people, for us to stumble over Jesus, for us to trip and to fall. And yet, thankfully, the Holy Spirit's entire job is to try and make sure that that doesn't happen to us. Instead, to open our eyes, to expose our bias so that we don't stumble over Jesus. In fact, for these people, the Holy Spirit had actually done that Seven centuries prior, they were convinced that an illegitimate child who worked with his hands as a carpenter for a living could not possibly be some wise and powerful rabbi, much less the Messiah that he claimed to be. But the Holy Spirit 
had long ago told them that that's exactly what they should expect through the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit had said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, that he would have no human father, only an earthly mother. Through the same prophet Isaiah, he had told people that there would be nothing about the Messiah that people would find attractive or appealing or impressive. Through the words of the Holy Spirit, seven centuries prior, these people should have known that what they were seeing in Jesus was exactly the thing that they should have been looking for. And the Holy Spirit still does the same for you and me. It's very natural for us to think that Jesus' wisdom actually looks like foolishness. The Holy Spirit told us ahead of time that it would. It's very easy for us to think that Jesus' power actually looks like weakness. The Holy Spirit told us ahead of time that it will. In fact, the Holy Spirit has already told us that the absolute epitome of those two things, the ultimate example of those two things, would be found in the life of Jesus himself. That the ultimate solution to our ultimate problem would sound like this. That God's own son would become one of us. That he would live in our place. That he would be punished for our sins. That he would defeat death by dying. That he would win the victory by appearing to lose. And that through his work, a perfect status before God and a place in heaven are yours, not as a reward after a job well done, but as a completely free gift. Not as a result of your character, your kindness, your virtue, but only through trusting in what Jesus has done for you. Everything about that appears to be weak and foolish in our eyes and in the eyes of the world. And believe it or not, the Holy Spirit actually agrees. And in the very same breath, he tells us that that foolishness is God's wisdom and that that weakness is actually God's power. Through the words of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, he exposes our bias about Jesus and as a result keeps us from stumbling. Now, unfortunately, if you see Jesus the way that the Holy Spirit wants us to see Jesus, you might at times find yourself feeling a little bit lonely in life. Lonely in our world, lonely in your social circles, lonely in your workplace, lonely in your classroom, perhaps lonely even in your family. A lot of people stumble and fall and trip over the truth about Jesus. So if we see Jesus the way the Holy Spirit does, we are almost guaranteed to be in the very small minority in our world. And that's why it's very important for us this morning, as we look at these verses, to consider another group of people who were sitting in church. Not the people talked about in these verses, but the people who would have been reading these verses for the very first time. In other words, Mark's audience. Not Jewish people, who went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but as most scholars believe, Gentile converts to Christianity, probably in the city of Rome. Picture those Gentile converts to Christianity, still new to the Christian faith, still learning about Jesus, sitting in church one day, reading through Mark's gospel, 
getting to what we call chapter 6. And as they sat there in Rome, the grandest and wealthiest and most sophisticated city in all the world, they heard that a bunch of backwoods hillbillies in Jesus' own hometown were not convinced by his claims. What kind of effect do you think that might have had on them? What kind of effect do you think those facts might have had on them? Don't you agree that it would have been very easy for them to stumble and fall just as these Jewish people had? In fact, I I was curious this week to find out if anything even remotely like this had ever happened in our country. Did you know that just one time in our nation's history has a person lost the presidential primary in the state that they are from and then gone on to be elected president of the United States? Just once, 1968, Richard Nixon lost the Republican primary in the state of California, where he was from, but then nevertheless went on to be elected president. Just one time, And even then, there's a perfectly good explanation for why that happened. For starters, the person that he lost to was named Ronald Reagan, who was also from the state of California. And secondly, for some reason that I didn't have time to try and and figure out, Richard Nixon wasn't even on the ballot in that presidential primary in the state of California. So I think the facts are in. I think the evidence is clear. If someone wants to be popular nationally, certainly globally, they first need to be very popular locally. So if the Holy Spirit were nothing more than a campaign manager for Jesus, if his job was just to make Jesus look as good as possible in every possible situation, do you think he would have recorded this rather embarrassing incident from Mark chapter 6? He surely would have left this part out. But instead he includes it in Mark's gospel, once again to expose our bias, once again to show us the real truth about people's reaction to Jesus. Did you notice what Jesus did immediately after the people of his own hometown rejected and dismissed him? Here's what Mark tells us. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. So the reaction that Jesus got in his own hometown was the very reason, was the catalyst for him taking his message to other places, other towns and villages too. Now as those Gentile converts to Christianity sat there at their church in Rome, if they had been able to connect the dots, they would have realized that Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, and in fact Jesus' rejection in general by the Jewish people, was the very reason that the gospel had continued to spread. In fact, it was the very reason that the gospel had spread all the way to faraway Rome where they were sitting. And as you and I sit here in church today, we should connect those very same dots. In fact, the Christian faith is a little bit unique in that regard. Certainly there are other world religions that have have spread out and, and sort of had a global influence, and yet it remains the case that the place where where there's the highest concentration of people who follow that religion is very close to the place where that religion first started. Think about Buddhism in East Asia or Hinduism in India or Islam in the Middle East. 
But what about Christianity? Here we sit today celebrating our nation's 245th birthday. And I think a person could make a pretty good case that for many of those 245 years, the place on planet Earth where the gospel, where Christianity has flourished the most, is in the United States of America. And we have benefited from that. That's the reason we are sitting here today. I'm sure you realize this. We're a long way from Nazareth. Of course, I think someone could also make a pretty good case based on how things are going that we don't really know how long that's going to last, right? And who knows? Maybe Africa, maybe China is the next place on planet Earth where the gospel flourishes the most. Those places, too, are far, far away from Nazareth. So as we see the gospel of Jesus rejected in one place, and perhaps in our own lives as we feel a little bit lonely, perhaps even a little bit isolated in our Christian beliefs, as we feel lonely among friends, family, co-workers, and classmates, rather than that causing us to become embarrassed about Jesus or do everything that we can to keep our Christian faith to ourselves, instead, see what the Holy Spirit wants us to see that a negative reaction toward Jesus in one place is the very thing that serves as the catalyst for the gospel to be spread elsewhere. The Holy Spirit exposes our bias about people's reaction to Jesus and, as a result, keeps us from stumbling over it. You know, I think it's a, a pretty understandable and pretty natural thing that confirmation bias exists and, in fact, is so common in our world. If you're anything like me, you like to be right and you like to be proven right. And yet, as I think about the fact that we're wrapping up this series today, I am reminded of some words of Jesus that we heard as this series began. On the day of Pentecost, we heard some words from Jesus where he promised to send the Holy Spirit, and he said that the Holy Spirit's job would be to prove the world to be in the wrong. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit proves people wrong. One more time, we see a perfect example of that very thing. The Holy Spirit exposes how our natural assumptions about how God ought to work are not just incorrect, but how the truth about how God works is actually so much better than we could have ever imagined. That what looks like weakness is actually God's power. And what looks like foolishness is actually God's wisdom. That the gospel's failure in one place actually leads to success just down the road. The way that the Holy Spirit works, the way that the gospel spreads in our world is so much better than the way we would naturally assume it to be. And so yes, it is really good to be right every now and then. But I think the Holy Spirit has taught us that when it comes to Jesus, it's even better to be proven wrong. Amen. Amen.